Well, amen to that. That day is coming, we will behold him. We serve a resurrected Savior, and we will see him face to face one day because of the resurrection. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Isn't that true? So that gives us much hope on this Easter morning. And I just want to echo the word of greeting that Drew already gave earlier. Carmen, we are thankful and rejoicing. The Lord has given you strength today to be with us on Easter Sunday. We are grateful for that. Mr. Ray, the Lord has given you strength to be here on this Easter Sunday morning, and we are thankful for that. And, and then Miss Vi, I saw you in the, come in the room earlier, but as you're mourning the loss of your husband, that you're here on Easter Sunday to praise the Lord. It just speaks volumes to your faith, and we are thankful you are here this morning on this Easter Sunday morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Well, I want to begin this morning with a special time for the kids. I've got a story time for kids. So kids, if you want to come up front, come up here and sit with me for just a minute. I want to read you a story this morning as we begin. So come on up here. Don't be shy. Come up and sit here next to me, guys. Come on. It's okay. The pastor's not that scary. Come on down, kids. Yeah. Get where you can see. And we'll hold the book here so I want y'all to all be able to see it, okay? Keep coming. Keep coming. Oh, I've got lots of y'all. Come on, sit all down right up here so y'all can all see. And what a blessing to see so many young faces here on Easter morning. We are thankful you all are here this morning. I want to read you a book this Easter Sunday morning because when we think about Easter, we often think about Jesus and the resurrection, but that's not the whole story. There's a big story, and that's just part of it. And so I want to read you a story called The Story of King Jesus. It's a book by Ben Irwin, and I want to read it to you this morning. And so thanks for listening with me. Here's how it goes. It all began with God. I want to say that. It all began with God. Can you say that? It all began with God. Great. God made everything you can see and even things you can't see. God made this world to be his home. Then God made the very first people so he could share his home with them. God gave them a beautiful garden to live in. He gave them a job to do to take care of this good world and help him keep rule over it. But they did not listen to God. The very first people did not like doing things God's way. They wanted to do things their own way. They wanted to be in charge. So they took what was not theirs. They tried to make the world, or they tried to rule the world for themselves. And so the very first people had to leave the garden that God had made for them. After this, everyone tried to do things their own way. From the very first people all the way down to you and to me, God's good world was broken. But God never stopped loving his people. He promised to make the world right and good again so we could live with him and, they could, and he could be our king. God had a plan. Can y'all say that? God had a plan? God, God had a plan. Yeah. And it started with Abraham. God gave Abraham children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Abraham's family became a great nation, and God named them Israel. God made Israel his chosen people. They would help him make the world right and good again. God went with Israel everywhere they went. When they were slaves in another country, God was with them. When they were treated badly, God rescued them. God gave Israel a home. He gave them laws to follow so they would know how to show their love for him and for each other. God also gave them a very important job to show the world what it means to be God's people. God told Israel, if you let me be your king, you will have a good life. I will live with you and you will help me make this world right and good again. But Israel did not listen. God's people were just like the first people. They did not want God telling them how to live. They wanted to do things their own way. God's people did not want God to be their king. Instead, they wanted their king to be a person, just like them. So God let Israel have a king, then another king, and then another king. Some kings were good, some were bad. Most of the kings did whatever they wanted. They did not want God to be in charge. 
So they took what was not theirs. They ruled Israel for themselves and not for God. They did things their own way. So God sent prophets to remind the kings and the people that there was only one true king. There was only one true God. But the kings and the people would not listen. So they had to leave their home. Other nations came and conquered Israel. They carried God's people away. Years went by. People did not hear from God like they used to. Instead, they only heard silence until something new happened. God had a plan. He, had sent, he sent someone special. God sent someone who would rule the world as king. But this person would not rule the king as the kings of Israel had done. This person would rule the way that God wanted. Do you know who this king was? Jesus. Jesus, that's right. God sent his only son, Jesus, his chosen one, to rescue Israel and to make the world right and good again because God still had a plan. Can you all say God had a plan? God had a plan, yeah. When Jesus grew up, he did good things everywhere he went. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He rescued people from all sorts of problems. Jesus did everything God wanted. But some people still did not want to do things God's way. They did not want Jesus to be their king. They still wanted to be in charge of themselves. So one day, some powerful people decided to stop Jesus before he could take away their power. They arrested Jesus. They took off his clothes. They nailed him to a wooden cross, and they watched Jesus die. Jesus never fought back. He never raised a sword. He never even raised a finger. The powerful people thought they had won. They thought they had beaten God's chosen one. They thought they had stopped Jesus from becoming king. But there was something they did not understand. Jesus did not have to die. Jesus chose to die for the powerful people and for the very first people and for you and for me too. Jesus, the one true king, died in our place. Jesus died to make the world right and good again, but no one understood. Then, while we celebrate this morning, God did something wonderful. The same God who made the world rescued Israel and sent Jesus. The same God did the most wonderful and surprising thing of all. God raised Jesus from the dead. Can you all say that? God raised Jesus from the dead. Yeah. But Jesus did not just rise from the dead. He defeated death. So death would not have power over us any longer. Jesus made it possible for us to be God's people again. Jesus made it possible for us to live the way God wants. God gave us the king we needed. God gave us Jesus, a king who loves, forgives, and changes everyone who comes to him. Can you say Jesus changes us? Jesus changes us. We'll be talking more about that in the sermon this morning. Our king gave us a job to do, to love each other with all that we've got. That's how we show God's love to everyone else. But for now, the world is still broken. We still take what is not ours. We don't always love each other the way God wants us to. But someday, Jesus, our king, is coming back. Can y'all say, Jesus is coming back? Jesus is coming back. That's right. He will make the world right and good again. He will make the world his home again. It will be a place where we love each other the way God loves us. God will live with us, and he will be our king forever. So what's your, let's say it one more time, because I'm about to talk to everyone, the adults included, about this. He say, Jesus changes us. He say, Jesus changes us. That's an important truth on this resurrection morning. Thanks for listening, boys and girls. Molly has, Miss Molly has a gift for you. You should turn back to your seat. So see Miss Molly as you head back down towards your seat. God bless you, boys and girls. Thanks for listening.
Well, while the boys and girls go to get their gifts, again, I just want to say thank you for being here on Easter Sunday morning. I'm excited to, to be here with you. You've just heard him as so we've read that story with the boys and girls, the message of Easter Sunday. That was the message of the gospel because the gospel is not just the message that Jesus died and rose again. It's the whole story we just read that God had a plan from the beginning to show his glory, to bring us to himself so that we may be worshipers of him, not just for now, but for all eternity. And we just heard in that book that Jesus willingly died. Jesus willingly laid down his life to take the punishment that we deserve. Friends, if you were here for our Good Friday service Friday night, I mentioned this after we read John 19, when we think about the cross and we think about what Jesus did on Good Friday, it doesn't show us how great we are. It shows us how awful we are. The cross shows us that we are helpless. The cross shows that we are wretched, that we are lost and bound in our sins, and that we have no hope apart from God rescuing us. Jesus died to take the punishment that we deserve, a punishment that we can never repay. But Jesus did not stay in the grave, and that's how we celebrate this Easter morning. After Jesus died and took the wrath of God against our sin, on the third day, God raised him from the dead. He was resurrected. Jesus defeated death, and that is what made it possible for us to be God's people. That is what makes it possible for God to love us, to forgive us. And like I was saying with the boys and girls, it makes it possible for God to change us. So would you turn in your copy of God's Word or scroll in your Bible app on your phone to John chapter 20? I mean, John chapter 20 this morning. You know, we learn about the resurrection in each of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so there's lots of places that we could go to talk about the resurrection this morning. We're going to go to John 20 because if you're not, if you've not been at Gateway before, we've been working through the Gospel of John slowly, verse by verse. After about three and a half months into this, we're about four chapters into the Gospel of John. And as we're working through the Gospel of John, we're going to get to John 20 eventually and go into more depth than we're going to do this morning with that. We'll spend several weeks on it then. But as we come to John 20, I want us to look at it for the resurrection from John's Gospel because we already know the themes. We've already been talking about these themes for the last several months. And as you know, if you've been around Gateway any few weeks here, the Gospel of John was written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing we may have life in his name. You'll see those very same things we've been talking about as we get into John chapter 20 this morning. But I pray that as we look at a familiar text, we won't just look at it going, well, I know what happened. It's Easter. I've heard this my whole life. I pray that God will give us fresh eyes to see the wonder of the resurrection and how that really changes things for us. So before I read, I want to give you two questions I want you to listen for as we read our text this morning. As we go to John 20, I want you to be listening for two things. First of all, how does believing in the resurrected Jesus change people? If we look through John 20, we'll see Jesus encounter several people post-resurrection. How does believing in the resurrected Jesus change people? But then the second question is, is this change Jesus gives for people who have it all together or for people who are broken? So as we look through John 20 again, look for how does the resurrected Jesus change people when they meet him? But also, is this change for people who have it all together or for people who are in the midst of some type of brokenness. So as we come to John 20, can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of Word of God? If you're new to Gateway, we do this just to remind us of the significance of this. This is, the Word of God is important. This is God's very words to us, His revelation to us. God has not left us in the dark. He's shown us who He is, and He's revealed it to us. I'll be reading out the English Standard Version. We're going to read all of John chapter 20 this morning, starting in verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And saw this stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together. 
But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went to the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said these things to her. Verse 19, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked for the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand inside, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that on this Easter Sunday we celebrate a risen Savior. Father, I'm thank you, thankful that you've given us your word, these very words of life. And I pray today, though, for most of us in this room, this is a familiar story. God, through the work of your Holy Spirit, would you give us fresh eyes to see the wonder of the resurrection this morning? And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you can be seated. Now, there's a lot we could talk about. And like I mentioned earlier, when we get to John 20 and our journey through John, we'll go into a lot more depth on this. But there's one thing I want to focus on this Easter Sunday morning, and that's simply this. Believing in the resurrected Jesus changes us regardless of our past. Believing in the resurrected Jesus changes us regardless of our past. Now back to our two questions. How does the resurrection change us? And is the resurrection and the change he offers just for people who have it together or for those who are broken? I want to start with that second question this morning of who this change is for. Because the first ones that Jesus chooses to reveal himself to are all broken in some way. Now if you were Jesus and you had died and risen again, and you were going to appear, who would you appear to first? Kings? People in authority? 
your best friends who've been really faithful to you all these years, who would you appear to first? But if you notice in his sovereignty, God or Jesus appears for us here to people who are broken in different ways. Let's look at who he appeared to. First, he starts with Mary Magdalene. Just for some context, let's go back to chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, which, by the way, is John, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now, who is this Mary Magdalene? She's the one, if you go back to Luke chapter 8, was the one who had seven demons in her that Jesus cast out. She was the one, if you go back to Mark 15, who ministered to Jesus during his time in Galilee. She's the one who Matthew 27 records for us was present at the crucifixion. Here we see her early on that Easter Sunday morning at the tomb to finish the burial preparations by bringing spices. And when she finds Jesus not there, does she conclude, he's risen from the dead, it's true. No, she doesn't go there. She thinks, oh my goodness, he's been stolen. And that's where she begins to panic on that. And notice her state of being in verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Friends, not only did she not understand that Jesus had risen, she's weeping, she's broken. Here is a lady who is broken in a state of brokenness, overcome by grief. But she's not the only one who doesn't have it all together on that resurrection Sunday morning. Look at the disciples. These are the ones who have been with Jesus for three years, who've seen the miracles with their eyes, who have watched what he has done, who have been right there beside him for three years, heard all of his teaching. Look at the disciples' reaction, verses 8 through 10. Back in chapter 20, verse 8. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their home. So the disciples come find the tomb, and they believe something. They believe something has happened here. But it's clear here they do not understand the Scripture. They do not understand that the body not there is the resurrection. This is what's been prophesied, and what Jesus had himself said would have to happen. And we see their lack of understanding in verse 19. If they'd understood, friends, they'd be out rejoicing. But notice what they're doing after hearing the tomb is empty. Verse 19, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Friends, these aren't people who are out boldly proclaiming Jesus is risen. They're, they're huddled in a room in fear, broken and overcome, paralyzed by their fear. But I mean, do you really fault them? Their master has just been crucified three days ago. The Jews were after the followers of Jesus. I mean, do you really fault them for being there huddled up in fear in this. They were ones who were broken and paralyzed by fear. But one in particular shows a special level of brokenness here, and that's Thomas. Look at verses 24 and 25 again. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Friends, the disciples have been trying to tell Thomas what happens. If you go back to verse 25, so the other disciples told him, the tense in the Greek here is that continuous tense you've heard me talk about before. It means they told him and kept on telling 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 him. They tried, they were reasoning, they were trying to persuade Thomas of the resurrection of Christ. But Thomas is stubborn. He refuses to believe. And friends, he demands a level of proof that you see nowhere else in the New Testament. No one else seems to have the audacity to demand this level of, I will not believe unless you make, meet these demands of me. He has what Hebrews 3.12 calls an evil, unbelieving heart. And Thomas is showing that. He's broken. He's blinded by his doubt. He's blinded by his skepticism. He's blinded by his unbelief. So back to my question. Is the change that Jesus offered for those who have it all together, for those who are broken? 
He sovereignly chose to reveal himself to those who were broken on that first resurrection. People who were broken by grief, broken by fear, broken by their doubts, people who needed changing. But thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave them there. Jesus meets people in their state of brokenness. And when people meet the resurrected Savior, he changes them on that. And that's what I want you to see next is how the resurrection changes him. Because, friends, this is so important. In our culture, a lot of people have the idea that God loves me as I am. And they stop there. So they have this idea, I can live how I want to live, and God just is a loving God, and he accepts me as I am. Well, the reality is God does love us as we are, and he, and he calls us himself. But when we come to him, he changes us. He doesn't leave us where we are, bound in our sin. If you notice in our text here, he doesn't leave Mary grieving. He doesn't leave the disciples fearful. He doesn't leave Thomas doubting. When we believe in the resurrected Jesus, friends, it changes us. It changes us in very, very real ways. And the same is just as true today as it was then, believing in the resurrected Jesus changes. Think back to John 3, if you're here with us as we're going through our journey of the Gospel of John. We got to John 3, and we were looking more at what belief meant. We said that morning that unlike curiosity, a true belief in Jesus involves receiving a radical transformation from above. We said that morning that if we are really in Christ, if we really have believed the Gospel message of who Jesus is, that He died for our sins and rose again, we receive a radical transformation. Belief in Jesus produces change in our life. And we see that here with all these people that Jesus met on that very first resurrection morning here. Look back to Mary Magdalene, this one who was broken with sorrow and grief. Look at what happens in verses 14 through 18. Verse 14 in chapter 20. Having said this, she, Mary Magdalene, turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. Well, no, she doesn't recognize Jesus at first. This happens in other places post-resurrection. Jesus has a glorified body, and so he has to open their eyes to who he is. But notice how he opens her eyes. He just simply speaks her name, Mary. And friends, I can't help but think of this, and we'll get to this eventually when we get to John chapter 10. His sheep know his voice. And when Jesus calls Mary, she immediately knows that it's Jesus who is talking to her. And how does she respond? Does she keep crying and grieving? No, she cries out this term of respect, Rabboni. It was the highest level of title respect that she could give to him. And she falls to his feet and grabs on his feet with joy and excitement that he's there. So much so, he finally has to tell her to let go. And why does he tell her that? He says, well, let go. I haven't ascended yet. The way I understand that, what he's telling her is like, listen, you're going to see me again. Today's not the day I'm ascending back to the Father. There's still time for you to see me, so let go. I've got work for you to do. And so she obeys. She lets go. She gets up, and she goes and does the mission Jesus has for her, and that's to go tell the disciples that he is risen. And so notice this. This woman who was paralyzed by her grief and by her sorrow is now all of a sudden a woman who's filled with joy. A woman who, is standing, who was standing there paralyzed is now gladly running off to do what Christ had called her to do because she met the resurrected Lord. How about the disciples? These were ones who were broken by fear, who turned and ran when Jesus was arrested. The ones who had denied Jesus more than once, who now are afraid in a locked room. Notice what happens. Which, by the way, again, if you were Jesus and your disciples had been so dense and so unfaithful, wouldn't you kind of, when you appear before them, kind of want to let them have it for a minute for what they've done? But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't let them have it for their unfaithfulness. He doesn't let them have it for their fear. Look at what he does in verses 19 and 20. 
He stands before them. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to you, I'm going to let you have it. No. He says, peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus pronounces peace on them. He reassures them. He shows them his wounds so they know that, yes, this is, in fact, Jesus. He's resurrected from the dead. And how do they respond Verse 20, I love it, the end of verse 20. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. But it doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just make them glad. He now sends this fearful group out with a mission. Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so am I sending you. Jesus takes this fearful bunch here and has a mission for them, go reach the world with my gospel. And that's in fact what they do. This group that was, as you read Acts, this group who was at one time paralyzed by fear, not long after this, after they received the Holy Spirit, are standing up boldly proclaiming who Christ is, and God is using them to bring thousands into the kingdom. This group who was paralyzed by fear sees their fear turn to courage. Their hiding in there, retreating away in fear, becomes them going out in boldness with the gospel. Their hearts quit trembling, and their hearts become filled with gladness, all because they met the resurrected Jesus. The one more we saw who was particularly broken, that is Thomas. This one who was broken with an evil, doubting heart, Notice what happens when he sees the resurrected Jesus. Verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. He said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Now, this scene is one week later. This will be Sunday a week from now when this is happening. And again, notice Jesus gives no rebuke of Thomas. He simply invites him to do what Thomas had demanded. But do you realize that Thomas doesn't want to do that anymore? When he sees the resurrected Jesus, all those demands he had made to believe, they just kind of obliterate in the presence of the Savior. He no longer wants to do any of those things. Jesus instead gives him a command here. Look at verse 27 here. At the end of verse 27, Jesus tells him, Do not disbelieve but believe. If you go back and look at the Greek where where the original language this was written in, the phrase do not believe is a command. And it's an imperative command, meaning it has to happen now. Jesus is basically saying, Thomas, right now, stop it. Stop it. Stop your disbelief right now. But, and this word but here is one of the strongest words that could be used. It means but on the contrary, believe. Thomas, right now, stop your disbelief. On the contrary, you must believe. And Thomas does that. And if you remember, as we've worked through the Gospel of John, the belief is not just some intellectual knowledge. It's not just like, okay, I think Jesus is that, and I'm going to do what I want to do. Belief means we accept Jesus for everything he is and everything that he claims to be. It's a trusting in him and submitting to all of his claims. A belief in Jesus is not just intellectual. It is our heart, our emotions, and our will that we are submitting to him as Lord. And that is what Thomas does here. The, one of the greatest skeptics now becomes one, gives one of the greatest affirmations of Jesus' lordship there in verse 28. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. The language of adoring worship here, the language of personal belief, my Lord, the one I'm going to submit to, my God, who I worship on this. And here this man who is broken and paralyzed by unbelief sees the resurrected Jesus and his unbelief turns to belief. His self-focus turns to worship. His skepticism turns to affirmation of who Jesus is, all because he saw the resurrected Jesus. Now, friends, as you think about those, like you've heard me say week after week as we go through the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John demands a response. 
And so the question then becomes, okay, what about you and what about me here? This is not just a nice story about Jesus rising to give us a few little goosebumps and make us feel good on Easter Sunday morning. This is not just a a good feeling, oh, I'm glad some people got changed. This demands a response for us because believing in the resurrected Jesus changes us regardless of our past. Friends, the reality is, according to Scripture, every single one of us is in a state of brokenness. The Scripture could not be more clear in Romans 3.20 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one in this room who's not sinned, even the nicest person you know. Everyone on the planet has sinned. That's why we can see in 1 John 1, 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The reality is we all are broken by sin. But also beyond that, the reality is most of us have some other forms of brokenness as well. Friends, we live in a fallen world and life is hard. We live under the effects of the curse in this fallen world. This creation is groaning for Christ's return and we feel grief. We feel sadness. We feel fear. We have doubts. We have thoughts of skepticism at times. We live in a broken world, and so most of us have other forms of brokenness as well in this. And with that in mind, look at how the book ends and and turns to us, or how this chapter ends and turns it back to us. Verse 29. Jesus said to him, Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So, friends, this turns it to you and to me now. Jesus tells Thomas and pronounces peace to him and blesses him. But he says there's a greater blessing. He says, Thomas, you've seen with your eyes. All these people that we've just talked about, Mary Magdalene, the disciples, Thomas, they saw Jesus with their eyes. They saw the resurrected Savior, and it changed them. Friends, we don't see him with our physical eyes yet, but as we read the scriptures, we see him. As we hear the gospel, we see him. We see him with spiritual eyes, with the eyes of faith. That's what we're told in Romans 10, that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Friends, when we hear the gospel, when we read the scriptures, when we study the scriptures, we see Jesus. And when we believe, we have a blessing even greater than Mary Magdalene, even greater than the disciples, even greater than Thomas. Again, look back at verse 29. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And so, friends, when we hear that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried on the third day, he rose again, defeating death to free us from our sins. When we believe that, when we have faith in that, when we experience the resurrected Jesus and see him with eyes of faith through the scriptures, friends, it changes us. Regardless of our past sins, regardless of our past fears, regardless of our past doubts, none of that matters. It changes us. It did so for the earliest people. Mary falls in worship. The disciples' hearts are made glad. Thomas believes and can't contain it. And so then the question becomes, has that done that for you and for me? Has the resurrection changed us? Have we encountered the resurrected Christ in such a way that our lives are different? Friends, I feel sometimes the symbol of the cross and the familiarity of the story gets so cleaned up to us, we, we lose the wonder of this. That God came in human flesh. That he lived a perfect life. He died in one of the cruelest forms of execution ever invented but he conquered death on the third day and rose from the grave. When the disciples said, when they saw it, they fell on their face to worship. They were overcome with joy and gladness. And so often in my own heart, we can read this and be like, well, that's nice and move going about our day. Has the resurrection changed you in such a way to where our hearts are glad? We're overwhelmed. We fall down and worship. We cry out, my Lord and my God, and we joyfully go out obeying. If not, why not? Friends, I just challenge you this Easter Don't let the resurrection just be a nice story of what happened. But realize that if we really believe in the resurrected Jesus, it will change us. 
And so my plea to you would be to ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes and look at your heart and your life. Is there anything different in your life because you've met the resurrected Jesus? Are you different now than the day that you met the resurrected Jesus? And if there is no change in your life from the day you walked down an aisle, prayed a prayer, got baptized, and you're the same now, I would plead with you to consider, have you really met Jesus? Or have you just gone through the external motions? Because everyone who meets the resurrected Jesus is changed, is different for that. What about you? What about you today? Perhaps you have met the resurrected Jesus, but we've lost the awe and the wonder of it. My prayer for you is that this Easter the familiarity would go away and we would really stop in awe and wonder at what Jesus did. And we would cry out like Thomas, my Lord and my God. And we would worship him as we saw these earliest, earliest followers do. And that this Easter, not just today, but in the weeks to come, would be our hearts overflowing, being overwhelmed with Christ's kindness to us and what he has done for us. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this Easter Sunday. We are thankful for your kindness to us and showing us revealing to us through the pages of Holy Scripture what happened. We're thankful, Father, that you've sent the Lord Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, but that he did not stay dead, that he conquered the death, he conquered the grave, and he rose again, and he now imparts life to those who believe in him. Father, I know many in this room, and Lord, as I hear their stories, I am so thankful for their stories of faith, their stories of belief. Father, as I think about people in our congregation who are suffering and going through so many trials, and I see how the resurrection has changed them. I see the hope they have, the confidence they have, because of the difference the resurrection has made in their life. God, I don't know everyone in this room, and I can't see anyone's heart, nor can they see mine. God, I pray this Easter weekend, Father, if there's anyone here, who, even if they've gone through the motions and can put on a good face at church, but if in their heart of hearts they know that they've never been changed, they've never really met the resurrected Jesus in a way that changes them, that gives them that radical transformation from above, I pray God today would be the day that they meet the Savior and their lives are forever changed. Father, for those of us who know you and have walked with you, Father, would you forgive us for the times that we become so familiar with the story, we lose the awe and the wonder of it, and we lose the desire to worship. God, I pray for my heart and the hearts of my brothers and sisters here in the Gateway family that this Easter Sunday you would overwhelm us with the wonder, with the awe, with the majesty of what happened on that Easter Sunday, that the resurrection would be fresh to us. And as we think about that, it would bring life to our soul as well. You told us in John 20, 31, these were written so that we might believe that Jesus is a Christ and that by believing we may have life in his name. God, I pray for myself and these brothers and sisters, Father, that this Easter we would truly experience life in your name and that we'll be forever changed. Not just today, every day this week and the weeks to come, months and years to come, we'll be forever changed because we've met the resurrected Jesus. And I ask it all in Jesus' name for his glory and for our joy, we pray, amen. Let me ask you